You're listening to Creative Rituals with me, artist and illustrator Georgie Stewart. This is a podcast about the daily habits of artistic life. Each week I'll be asking writers, artists, musicians and all kinds of creatives about how exactly they get down to it and make great work. How do artists plan their day to generate and protect their creativity? My guest this week is one of my favourite illustrators, Sydney Smith. Sydney is a children's illustrator and author based in Nova Scotia, Canada. He's won many awards for his thoughtful and evocatively illustrated picture books that speak to the complex emotions of what it feels like to move through the world as a child. We sat down to talk about the complicated nature of childhood memories, how hanging out with kids can help our work, plus a peek inside his sketchbook, pencil case and studio. bit about your relationship with drawing as a kid I think I heard you say in a guest lecture that you didn't show any exceptional talent for drawing as a child Um, I'm very interested in that I don't think I I showed any I mean I I don't I don't think I was better than I remember distinctly that there was a kid in my class who could draw Garfield really well and I was really um, I was really jealous of that and uh but drawing like for most kids um it was uh it was something i love to do um and it was something i could do for my parents quite a bit i think i would i would dedicate my drawings to or i would say to mom love said and um I don't know. I looked at a lot of my older drawings and saw that almost every every one of them was either for my mother or my father. And I loved doing that for them. And so the sort of this relationship of like pleasing my parents or giving them something that I made myself and they, you know, they were very encouraging. So I just went back to doing that. Later in my adolescence i think that i i sort of developed this relationship with drawing um that enabled me to sort of skip that stage where kids usually stop you know with kids it's drawing is is a is a form of play for a very long time until they become very self-conscious and and think of you know that they're you know they aren't very good or, or what they're trying to draw doesn't look like that or someone's better than them or, or whatever. But I, um, you know, I, I had these, I had uh, groups of friends. Um, I had this group of friends that I would draw with nonstop. We would carry around big binders before we even knew what sketchbooks were. We would just like fill binders with lined paper and, and drawings of superheroes or, or creatures or monsters or, or whatever we wanted to draw together. And we did it all the time non-stop every day after school every weekend we would get together and draw and then we would just show each other you know the whatever we drew we would uh, sometimes draw comics based on on the characters that we drew and uh, 
and I love that part. That that sort of where I that's where my brain sort of froze for the rest of my life. I'm always sort of stuck there. But after um, after that period, I I moved away. I, I moved to a place that was far enough away. I didn't see my friends very often. I didn't have any friends in my new um, home, and so I just continued drawing as if my friends were there, because it kind of it was this association with, you know, I, this escape, but also I associated it with my friends and this feeling of comfort, and um, and yeah, I think that's that's sort of the because of that relationship. I had when I was younger, I see that I was able to just sort of skip that, that, that moment where, where um, kids usually stop and are, um, you know, give it up or take it too seriously or, or whatever. I just, I just continued on and forgot to, forgot to stop. <laughs> Love that. And what you were saying about, you know, when you're a kid, always kind of, you're drawing for your parents. Yeah. If you think of that in relation to now, your practice now, are you kind of drawing to please others or is it just for your own satisfaction? That's a good question. I mean, when I was... One of my earlier books, Sidewalk Flowers, was, uh, or in UK it's called Footpath Flowers. It's a wordless book that was really kind of the launch of my career, but it was a way I, I started to... Um, work with a specific editor at uh, at a publisher called Groundwood Books. And she was uh, someone who I, I really connected with. We became very good friends. She became like almost like a mentor to me, um, which is, you know, above and beyond what an editor. I mean, it's, it, editor should um, represent someone, you know, you can, you can show things to and, and get, honest feedback from but she almost kind of took that took that role of whatever my parents would have been my mother and just sort of i i started working i started working to please her you know if she was happy then i was happy which is makes really simplifies things because you're working on a picture book you there's so many different people different different places to put your attention or or to think about like all of these people you need to please there's the kids obviously there's parents there's teachers there's librarians there's reviewers there's other artists and authors and there's a whole bunch of people that you can be worried about what will they think now you can start thinking about different markets like north american market versus the european market they like different things too so who are you trying to please it can become overwhelming and um stifling so if you can find one person, if you're working with an editor or maybe another author or or you have one person that you can just direct all of that towards, if they're happy, you're happy. You know it's going to be a good book. And that's kind of what an editor should do, I guess. It's like they should represent, they should sort of absorb all of that, all of that attention to, you know, your feedback should just come directly from them. So, um, so yeah, I work for to please certain people, editors in particular, but I also look to, um, I, I, I try to write for my, myself, uh, now and myself when I was a kid 
and try to focus on the things that are common between who I am now and who I was when I was younger. What are the things that concerned me then and, and are, you know, still, still are important to me. And I think if you, if as a, as a creator, <clears throat> you can be, you can, you can get kind of lost when you start thinking about what kids like, you know, what kids want to read or what is it that kids, kids like, um, and, and you, you can sort of stray away from, from some of the, some of the things that feel universal and, and you should really focus on the things that like, you know, that concern children to concern people when they're, when they're seven or six years old. And also when they're older, if you can kind of, identify those those things um then you you know that your your book is going to be wide reaching and it's, it's going to speak to a, a wider uh, group but if you start thinking about you know kids as an as the, the other uh, kids as a separate sort of race <laughs> you know then you're getting into trouble i think you're just going to be repeating things that you've seen before or regurgitating all of these themes which have been you know that you've seen that have been successful but you know you've seen it before maybe are not as exciting I'm rambling but <laughs> no not at all no i think it's so true to kind of come at it at it not it as in picture books but life as well through the curiosity of, of a child and that playfulness keep that playfulness is the key isn't it right yeah Completely, yeah. Play, playfulness and curiosity are, are two things which I think are incredibly important to just being a, you know, a successful human. Yeah, for sure. Your books often explore memories from childhood, but not necessarily in a nostalgic or completely happy or sad way. They're more concerned with the complex emotions of childhood that perhaps don't even have a name. Could you talk a little bit about that? Why is that important in your books? I think it's more accurate. I, I'm like I don't know. I don't know if I can label what I'm doing as as realism, but it, it is feel, this sort of goal. My goal is to try to capture something that feels more real and more um, um, accurate to being a young human, like this existed like I, I was thinking about this recently you know a lot of people you know they think about childhood as being easy and innocent and um you know and romanticize it but um i don't remember it quite like that and i don't think that anybody any child would tell you that it was it was it's uh, um it's easy at all i mean you're first of all you're you you are kind of at the whims of your own emotions, which are, which are kind of unbridled and, and, and not, you don't quite have the skills to, to compartmentalize or to um, negotiate these kind of emotions that has, that have really wide spectrum and you process them quite immediately on the spot. So there's that, there's this, the fact that you are, you are sort of operating on a, a limited amount of information people give you people stuff that you understand stuff that you uh, um 
you observe, but don't quite un haven't quite you know put the pieces together. You're kind of going through life. Um, people are 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 not quite are are you know I I found that like when I was growing up, I was given this sort of abridged version of reality from my parents. You know, they tried to protect you from certain information. My parents separated, but I was told like nothing about what was going on. You know, I, I just sort of had to go along for the ride. And, and, and I think that there's a certain amount of confusion within that. And um, we forget that, that childhood is, is, has a lot to do with kind of half truths or confusion or, or um, misinterpretations of, of reality. I think that um, nostalgia is a great thing. Nostalgia is a good thing, but you can become too enamored with nostalgia. Or I, I think I don't want to become too enamored with nostalgia because the, once you do, you start romanticizing ch childhood as well at the, you know, you, you forget that everything is complex. I don't know about you, but all of my memories have this layer of, of nothing is a hundred percent a good memory. Nothing is a hundred percent a bad memory. It's all sort of mixed up. I always found myself whenever I'd recall a memory, I'd always end up saying something like, you're like, oh yeah, I remember that day where, you know, we were camping or whatever. That's a weird, it, it, it kind of makes me feel weird. Like there's something weird about it. And there's always something weird going on with every memory, whether it's Christmas morning or whether it's like, you know, the time you broke your leg or something. There's always something like never, never quite so cut and dry and easy to, to to describe and if i can if i can sort of address the complexity of memory or the experience of childhood in a way that's not so simple but sort of expresses the the ambiguity or the complexity of the experience then i feel like i'm doing a service to to people who are young but also people who um are, are, re, are, you know, looking back at their, at their childhood memories. Yeah. It's actually so fascinating because I was, I was talking to my mum the other day about, about this really, about how my childhood memories to me, like what even is real of what happened? Because yeah. the way I view something is actually completely different to, to how it was. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's more interesting that's more interesting than telling a story about what actually happened and 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 a, a child experiencing it uh as a as a separate I, I i don't know i i think that the perspective of a child is is way more interesting the the point of view of a character who is young is way way more interesting it's almost a little bit like uh, puzzle, you know, and, and and so you you get little pieces here and there, but you don't get the full picture, and to sort of try to try to see what's going on. I can remember, uh, like, my son was talking about this something the other day. He was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that day with all of the fireworks," uh, but it wasn't fireworks. It was like it it was. Um, shooting stars but he remembered it separately like differently and it wasn't that he didn't have the words to he didn't have the words to, to describe it but it was just sort of that 
the memory shifts and changes and um i don't know it's i just find that way, way more interesting yeah and it's also kind of not to discredit that you know your memory of it is wrong because you were a child and you didn't understand what was going on because your interpretation of it was true to your experience at that time it's not like you remembered it wrong that was that was your experience of it but the adults experiences were just very different it's really it's super interesting yeah yeah exactly and i i feel like a very sort of boring or innocuous uh, moments from childhood ended up being really like memories that i've i've kept for a long time and and are always, i'm always revisiting i remember once when i was younger being in the kitchen with my parents um and their friends and someone looking out the window and saying that there were hunters on the edge of the woods and and there were lots of signs around our our property saying no hunting and the parents ran out of the out of the house and said you stay here and then they ran off but i was too short to look out the window i couldn't even see any of it i couldn't all i knew was just sort of sort of i i just was you know i could see only the counter space i could i couldn't see the hunters i could only just sort of imagine them and what this moment that my parents probably have forgotten completely has stayed in my mind because of the mystery surrounding it they're like it was more interesting in my mind than what actually probably was going on there the hunters were probably lost. You know, my parents were like, hey, you should probably go to the other property or, or head up, head north from here. And that was it. And there was no animosity or anything. But there's just this mystery around surrounding this, this sort of like half-informed memory or half-informed perspective. And I really, really love that quite a bit. And because you are representing your own personal childhood memories, through your illustrations in your books. Is it ever difficult to gauge whether other people will relate to them or respond to them in the way you're hoping? Because childhood memories are often so niche and personal, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I was concerned, I, I really was concerned, especially when developing this book, um, Do You Remember? Because I was using, I was going very specific with the memories. I was like, this is something that actually happened. This is a memory that I've carried for a very long time. And this is something that I wanted to share, but I wasn't even sure if like, is it interesting to me because it's a good kind of like, and it, it's kind of a, you know, will it be interesting to anyone else? Is it only precious to me because I've carried it around for so long? I've had it for 40 years and that I don't know, you know, it's it's like uh i don't know it was hard it was difficult it was it's difficult to tell but i think in the end if something is genuine it feels original to who you are that it will resonate with other people i think i would way ra way rather that than try to you know intentionally create something that that um you know i have no relation to you know, if if I if I use material that I had no no relation to or didn't experience on my own or or um, um, you know I had no reference of, then I think that would be a total failure. It's better to go extra personal than it, totally impersonal. And then we'd all be reading the same books anyway. Wouldn't we? Well, I feel like we we are anyway, a little bit. Oh, do you feel that way? Well, I don't want to be. I I, I don't want to be 
grumpy about kids books but sometimes i do find like it this is a, such an interesting um industry because so much of it plays on nostalgia so it's okay to kind of retell the same stories over and over because people love seeing similar stories that they grew up being you know having read to them so they want to read the same stories to their kids and it's okay if it's not it's okay if you if you have the exact same story that you know different characters if you've reimagined a story packaged it in a different way so there is definitely 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 innovation within within picture books but there's also this really you know we welcome the the repetition as well and i guess kind of that kind of links back to what we were talking about earlier with your books being concerned with that kind of complexity of childhood because often like picture books definitely have the potential to fall into that trap of being twee you know if every page is happy and bright and pastel colored and everything's going right you kind of you want to represent a more fully formed complicated human experience in picture books right. i think you know and that's what gives it heart and grit right having those complicated storylines and characters yeah and and i i mean it just turned out to be that a lot of those books are told through the perspective of the character which is makes it even more interesting and gives you a lot more options to to kind of create this sort of perspective um this relationship between the character and the reader and um you're given this information from the character uh and they can either choose to give you information directly or s sort of indirectly through the what they don't say and that's way more powerful to me it's like this character who chooses not to tell you how they're feeling but you can tell or you can see it and it kind of sort of engages a different type of reading and type of literacy that is more emotional yeah it's like all about the subtext yeah yeah exactly and when you're dealing with things which like especially complicated emotions which can very easily go like sort of uh fall into um over sentimental or um or just heavy-handed emotional material it's better to go at it sort of through the back door or through an open window you know the, through the subtext and through the suggestive su su suggesting all of that kind of indirectly um you sort of avoid you avoid the reader feeling like they're being pushed or bullied into feeling anything or feeling something especially if it's very intense like grief or uh, loss or you know all of all of those difficult ones. Yeah. The book Town is by the Sea was written by Joanne Schwartz and illustrated by you. And for the illustrations, you set the world in your hometown in Nova Scotia in Canada. Um, because like the author, you'd also grown up in a town by the sea. How important is that freedom for you as the illustrator to be able to interpret the text as you wish? The fact that you were able to base it in your home rather than theirs, for example, rather than being given a set of guidelines. You know, this is how we'd like the drawings to look. Um, well, that's not completely accurate. I, it, my home was not that setting of the of the picture book. In, in fact, it, it was the the story was written specific to the town of Glace Bay, 
I said it in Glace Bay. I, I went to travel there. My home was a little bit further down the road. Okay. Didn't look the same because it wasn't a mining community. It was more centered around a tire factory. And so my, my father worked at a factory. Her people that Joanne wrote about worked in the, in the mines. The mining community was, I think, uh, is very interesting because the culture surrounding that uh with it at uh, the culture surrounding the mining um company but also because of the um uh isolation of being in a town that's very very far away from any other cities or towns cape breton is is a little bit has its own sort of culture has its own way of like his own dialect its own like type of music and when you dug deeper which i i tried to do i tried to like I tried to do a lot of research for this book. You realize that they had very specific type of tea that they drank, whether they were from town or from the country. They were very proud of very specific elements that I was happy to include in the book. That if anybody noticed, they could see like, oh, okay, they had he they you know, they had a certain type of flour that they used in their kitchen, or they had a very specific uh, stove that they used, or. Um, you know, all the kids wore the same type of boots. Like those things I enjoyed including, and I don't think everybody could pick up on that, that, that specificity, specificity, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it came through it, it like, it, it gave it a sense of, uh, uh authenticity. <laughs> it gave, it gave it, it felt made it, make it made it, feel real and, and help develop this sort of sense of place, which I was familiar with because it's in Nova Scotia and it's by the sea, but it wasn't something that I grew up. I wasn't, I didn't grow up in that town and I didn't have the experience of having my father work in the mine and I didn't work in the mine either, but I did actually, it was the first time that, um, it was the first time that I actually went really, really far for a book. Like I was living in Toronto at the time. And I said, I had developed all of these sketches for the book the layout was there. My editor was like, yeah, this looks great. It's looking good. But I, I, I said, I, I just, I really need to go and, and visit. So I bought it. I bought a plane ticket. I rented a car and I drove all the way out six hours to go to, um, Glace Bay, which is on the very, very tip of Nova Scotia. And it was in, it was, it wasn't even the right time of year. It was in February. It was an ice storm. And, I, I drove around the town. I visited places. I stood on the the ledges that that many of the communities had built uh, were built by the company. Um, looking out on the sea, watching the seagulls kind of drift and float on on these these winds that came off the ocean. But then I also had this opportunity to go visit a mine. There's a mining a museum there, and although it was off season, there were people in there and they invited me in and they, they gave me a private little tour and it gave me this experience, this sort of this, this muscle memory of being in the, in, in the town, but also going underneath the mine and feeling going deep into the tunnel and feeling what it was like to be crouched down and, you know, breathe that really thick hot air that's in the, and 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 feel the and, and hear the dripping of the water because i mean you're under the ocean it's very intense but having that experience and going that distance for the book i finally felt like i had the authority to tell the story 
a story that's not exact, not quite my own, but but I felt like okay, I've been there, I've breathed the air, I've stood in that town, I've talked to the people. I feel like now I'm ready, and I swore after that that I would never not go the full distance for a book. And do you think then that it's essential for an illustrator to physically ground themselves in the space to have the authority present it? So you don't, as opposed to, you know, we can't do some of our best work through our imagination. No, not me. Not me. Uh, I mean, I can, I can imagine, but a large part of it, a large part of it is just feeling it. Yeah. I pretty much never draw from my imagination. I'm always either using references or going out. And it's it's completely different to when you're a child in a way. Because when you think when you're a child, it was it's all from your imagination. But um yeah. I feel like I need that sort of tangibility almost to feel like you're is you're trying to experience what um translate what you're experiencing, aren't you, on the page? Yeah, and it does come through whether you're intentional with it or not whether you have like reference material, photos or sketches that you've taken from a spot, just the very nature, the, the very fact that you were there physically, that you stood in a place and you, you had, you had absorbed everything in that moment, whether you knew it or not. And then you go and sit down and you can, you can, you have this confidence and this understanding, like this is a real place. I've been there. I can, I can, you know, it all comes through. It just like goes through your hand and into your brush or whatever and onto the page. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about your relationship with your sketchbook in general? How often are you sketching and how integral is that to your picture book making process? Yeah, it's very, very important. I mean, I have a sketchbook right here. That uh, usually what I try to do is write out the full text of the book that I'm working on. So I'll have it. I'll have it just sort of all written written out. This one is a is a story called. Well, right now it's called Island in the Storm or Storm Island. I don't even remember what we decided on, but it's written by someone else. Written by Brian Floca actually, and we're working on it right now. Um, but so I've written it out on the sketchbook, but also I just carry the book around with me everywhere. There's no worse feeling than being inspired to draw something or having a moment to draw and not having your sketchbook at, at your hand. Like it, it's the worst feeling. And I think that I have, I don't know. I, I, um, I have, I need I need to have something to do with my hands. I need to do something. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of ADHD or something. I'm not sure, but I I do need to have uh, something like a sketchbook on hand that I can sketch um, and document things around me and people. And uh, but it's also important. Like, say you're working. I try to do. I try to keep my schedule similar to a normal work week where I, I work nine to five during the week. And then on the weekend, I take a break, but those two days are enough for, to, to kind of like, for me to lose this momentum. So if I have my sketchbook with me on the weekend, then I can keep, I can sort of keep engaged in the art making and the mark making. And then when I come back to come back to my studio and on Monday, 
I'm still have it. I still have it a little bit, you know, and, um, but also it's a great place to experiment and to play, you know, this sketchbook should be your best friend, totally accepting of whatever, whatever, you know, experiments you want to throw at it right now. I just got another, I just got a pen the other day. So I was trying to do some, some pen drawings in the style of William Steig, or I was just trying to do like some different, some different styles because I, I, I used to work with cross hatching quite a bit when I first started, um, uh, illustrating and um but but i i kind of gave it up for the brush and although it's still in me to to work with a very fine tip pen i i haven't i haven't explored it that much so it could be some a new uh a, a new way of working that uh i can explore i do i feel like uh, like especially from working within a sketchbook and experimenting and trying other things and maybe um, uh, modeling your drawing after another artist or, or another illustrator, you kind of discover what, what excites you. Like you, you, you need those, you need those to discover what, it, where it is, where your excitement's coming from. And then, and then, you know, use that for your next project. Because if you keep on doing the same thing, if I keep on doing the same thing, I just, I'm going to, I would just die. I, I couldn't do it. I, I get so upset uh, uh, and bored with myself. And when you say, you know, there's no worse feeling than not having your sketchbook on you. So when you're out on the weekend and you've got your sketchbook, what's your sort of essential items that you'd have with you to draw? Um, I bring way too much, <laughs> but there's, this is like a pencil case, rolled up pencil case that has brushes. It has pens, um, colored pencils. That has uh, some brush pens, this fountain pen. I have an atomizer, which I've been carrying around. Don't really, can't really use it all the time, but sort of acts as... Oh, that's the like splatter stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah um some crayons and then on the side here we have some pencil sharpeners and some conte yeah and then and then um i also have this little tin which is handy because you can oh it's stuck there it is it's very messy but it's just a watercolor tin it holds wa holds water in, the, in this reservoir but um yeah i Sometimes we'll cut up little, like prepare some little pieces of some paper about this size, you know, the size of a postcard, and then just go out, leave the city, excuse me, leave the city and, and bring some paints with me. It's amazing to see. <laughs> I love looking at sort of materials. Um, do you think of what you do as work? Uh, I don't know what the def definition of work is. I mean, I take it very seriously, maybe too seriously sometimes, but. You know, my wife works, she's a teacher. I'm really glad that I don't have a, a job that, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm responsible to other people other than, you know, the publishers, obviously, but I'm given quite a bit of freedom. 
just to kind of explore and create and play. And I try to make the most of it. And I don't know if I call it a job, you know, as defined by most people's, you know, understanding of what a job is, but um, it's more of a way of a, a lifestyle. It's a way of living. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it's a tough one. I kind of wrestle with it. Some days it definitely does feel like work, but then I'm also just super grateful that you know, draw, drawing is my job. I don't really think of it as a job, as you say. It's, it's the way it's the way you live your life, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you can forget. There's a certain there, there's a certain um, quality that you know you can develop or you you sort of have when you become an artist and that's it's a sensitivity you know your 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 job is to be sensitive to everything around you and to absorb all of these things and sometimes it can be too much you know and you forget that that's that's why you're so good at your job and um i think i i think it's just you can compare yourself to other people sometimes and forget that you aren't like other people you have a very exceptional way of looking at things and uh, you know re- seeing things and and reflecting this world and this life and the people around us to back to them and this is a gift i think that we have and then uh, and you can forget about it sometimes you can you can forget that you have this gift when you start comparing yourself your life to other people yeah i feel like i was talking to again to my mum um the other day kind of about this I was kind of so, explained to her why you know I I'm almost a bit scared to, to maybe have children one day because almost uh, I'm so emotional mm-hmm. that you know if my child was ever sad right I think I would just fight or if they were going through something difficult I think maybe compared to other people I just don't know if I'd be able to go through it and she was kind of thinking like what what you're on about right but I do think you as as I don't I don't know it sounds a bit sort of maybe pretentious or self-important to be like because I'm an artist but I guess through through that lens like you do take you take on quite a lot because you you're naturally such an overthinker if that makes sense yeah yeah, I think so. And I don't, I mean, I, the question, it's sort of like what came first? It's like, are you an artist because you're sensitive to your, your, your open heart is, you know, you're more sensitive than other people or he, are you that way because you're an artist and, and it works, it sort of feeds your, your work. But I don't know. I think I was really, the one thing I was really scared about having kids was that I would sort of lose this connection to my own childhood, like because you have to adopt this role of of parent and teacher and caretaker, and you 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 got to stop being a kid. Um, and I think to a certain extent I did lose a little bit of it, but I gained quite a bit from my kids as well. You're constantly reminded how what it's like what it was like for you because you see it in your own kids and you get a lot of great material and also just sort of i've i've found that i've started writing more about 
the relationship we have with each other, parents and children, and how amazing it is that we exist at the same time, you know, in all of history. <laughs> this is a bit of a bit of an out there concept, I guess, but that I get to spend I get to spend time with these people, and it's just like a little blip in history, and we're here at the same time. It's pretty amazing. For sure, I feel like as well being around around them, you just their creativity opens up all kinds of ideas. Um, and even you, know, we're just on a dog walk, but they're saying, "Oh, we're on the battlefields. We're in no man's land. That's enemy territory, <laughs> yeah. enemy territory over there when we're in the wood." And they com- they completely believe it. And you're just like, I mean, as a picture book illustrator, that's like the best people to be hanging out with isn't it yeah exactly even even the my book my uh my son loves to make books maybe because that's what i that's what i do but um he comes up with the best titles i wrote one down the other day i don't think he even really worked on the inside of the book but the title page was amazing and it was called the wizard that came to town and it's just like, oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> just, just, just that is so perfect. The wizard that came to town. It was such a great, a great title. But there's lots of those. I guess they just get to the point, don't they? As maybe as adults, we try and overcomplicate things. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's so true. I do overcomplicate things, but I think that's also where some of the beauty lies is in the complications. And the ambiguities. Yeah. And for the people who can't see, could you visually describe your studio for me? What kind of things are in the room? What do you see? Like? Oh, God. I didn't, pr- I didn't clean up. <laughs> Sometimes I'll do it before a Zoom. I'll, I'll clean up some of my mess. Uh, most of it is piles of books. So I have sketchbooks. I have books on um, photographers. This one uh, is a Robert Frank book called The Americans. And this one's Lee Friedlander. These are two two photographers that I found really inspiring. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, Fairfield Porter is a book here. Uh, ben Sean is another book. There's a great book uh, called Hitch- Hitchcock Truffaut, which is a, just a, a, like this conversation that Alfred Hitchcock and Truffaut had about filmmaking, which has little, tiny, little things in it i mean it's all fascinating but there's some things which are so easily translated to, to picture books about you know the way that true that hitchcock directed the audience rather than he you know he considered himself to be more of a director of the of the you know the emotions of the audience than than um the actors almost and that's the same same with picture books like you are in control of how people understand the story and the order in which they feel things, the order in which they are given the information and, and you can anticipate the way that they process it all and whether they need a moment to sit with it, whether they need to be rushed through this action, whether they need to not know this part until this later part. And it's all very fascinating. And I think that's one of the things that I love the most is sort of, you know, trying to imagine I'm I am a reader and this is my reaction to this page turn or this this line of text or or 
or the way that the image is matched with the line of text to create a new understanding. There's so many fascinating um, things to obsess about <laughs> and to overthink. Um, beyond that, yeah, just books, 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 books. I've got to surround myself with books. Today's books. Today's books are um, the Nutshell Library with by Maurice Sendak, which he published before, right before Where the Wild Things Are. Uh, this Ladybird book, uh, What to Look for in Winter, is beautiful. Oh, wow. That looks lovely. There's another one that I have, I think, of Spring, which is really beautiful as well. And then uh, The Moon Jump. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't notice, but I guess Mo I have another Maurice Sendak book out on the table today, The Moon Jumpers. But these are all directly to do with what I'm working on right now, something I'm writing and something that I'm uh, illustrating for someone else. Uh, and then there's coffee cups, coffee cups, old coffee cups, just to throw out that I haven't. Paint, brushes, uh, old Paintings that didn't make the cut. Paintings I actually cut. New material. And um, and then uh, a couple dumb awards. <laughs> <laughs> and are there any little things that you do before or while you're working to get yourself in the right headspace for creative work? Are you listening to music while you're drawing or do you draw in silence? Oh, yeah. Usually it's uh, music... I always find that if I could find a playlist of music that I hadn't heard before, sometimes that can really like engage your mind a little bit. Like if you're listening to your favorite album that you've listened to many times, I feel like uh, it's, it's just not really engaging. If you can listen to music, if there's a playlist or something that you can find, it would be inspiring, I think more inspiring than if you had listen, were listening to your favorite your favorite song that you know all the words to. Um, but also there's movies. I'm lucky that I can get inspiration from movies, which sort of allows me to gives me, I, I give myself the, the uh, excuse to watch movies sometimes because they're so inspiring, especially, especially movies that are like, you know, deal with, uh the childhood experience maybe not necessarily children's movies but there's a whole pile of movies which i mean Truffaut's his first movie what was that called about the do you know that do you know his 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 movie no um it's in french <laughs> the 400 blows okay i'll have to watch that yeah such a great such a great movie um, this kid who's who's got kind of like bad home life and he's not good at school and it's a it's a movie about childhood but it's not for kids so it, it doesn't hold back at all which is sort of those movies that i find most inspiring even just the color it's in movies sometimes the color palettes can just be inspiring on their own <laughs> in 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 children's movies in films. oh in films yeah well lighting lighting is a huge deal for me like i love the effect of 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 light and then studying different cinematographers and their their work and um yeah different palettes different use of uh camera movements scene breaks i love holding i love it in movies when they hold too long on a moment it kind of creates this this moment in the 
audience's mind that that you wouldn't otherwise if you hadn't give it extra time, extra and an extra long breath. I don't know. There's lots of great things that you can do that you see in movies that you can just say, "Oh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to use it in my in, in books." And you work on a small scale. You make tiny, beautiful paintings that actually made me feel a lot better when I saw your small scale because I feel like when I went <laughs> to start, you know, doing courses and stuff, they say, "Oh, you need to draw bigger. You need to draw bigger." Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see your little paintings. Are you quite? precious about your work keeping them intact do you ever sell the originals or are they all special to you to keep do you keep them all i mean i'm not very precious these are all these are all paintings here from past projects that's from when that's they're all kind of getting ruined but i do sell some of them some of them people buy um and some of them some of them aren't Tiny. This last book I worked tiny for. I don't know why I worked tiny. It just feels. I think because of the. I wanted to kind of create the texture of a memory. So working small and then blowing it up kind of brings out the texture of the paint or whatever materials you're using. And uh, if you're working too big, then you and shrink it down, you lose all of that kind of interesting um, character. To the to the paint, the pigment, and and, and whatever. Uh, so yeah, working really really tiny, really small. These are all. I would blow these up bigger. Um, but then I am working on a book right now, that's full size. Oh yeah. I think it depends on the project. With small in the city, it's a book where it kind of like progressively gets more and more emotional but also more and more there's more of a snow storm that surrounds the character i started working smaller and smaller for each page and then blowing it up more so that that there is there's a shift in in the resolution but uh, you know it wasn't it just felt it felt it made sense and then another book i talk like a river there's a separation of of what's happening in real life and what's happening in his mind. And so the, those sort of, when he's in his mind, he's swimming and he's swimming in water and it's a different kind of, um, there's a different kind of uh, approach to the mark making. It's a little bit more blended, it's wet on wet kind of painting, messier. Uh, but I also work smaller so that when you blew it up, you could see all of that kind of, all of the pigments mingling and all of the materials kind of playing and, and creating their own. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And because you mentioned earlier about how you kind of like to keep things fresh, that your your style isn't necessarily defined by a medium. It's more about the kind of weight and complexity of emotions that you like to explore. Mm. Um so what's something new, a new material or a new way of working that you haven't attempted before that you're itching to try in a new book? Well, I mean, the the biggest shift for me was going from this style that I had become really comfortable with and really excited by, which was ink and watercolor. I loved working with ink and watercolor. I might go back to it someday, but I had felt like I had really, I had really like got where I wanted with it. 
So the reason why I liked using it was because it made me feel more, it, it had this, the, this sort of feeling of confidence, which I don't know. I don't normally have, I don't have a lot of confidence, but there's a, you there's a certain amount of confidence you needed to say like this messy little scrawl is good enough for me to put into into a book because it captures the feeling of the moment or is right for the text and um and so i was excited by that way of working for a long time it got me out of my comfort zone and that's where i love that's where it's everything's way more exciting is when you're kind of on a tightrope. Uh, but then I started getting comfortable with it. I started really kind of feeling like I wasn't risking anything. I knew it worked. I knew how to do it. I wasn't, it didn't do the same thing for me so i decided that i would try to just get rid of the the ink pen for a while and just mix paint and just see what it happens if i do do more kind of uh, a mix of paint and then i've been working like that for the last couple books and now i don't know <laughs> i don't know like are there materials that i want to use maybe yeah i'm looking i'm looking at this airbrush that I've never figured out how to use properly or the in a way that I really enjoy. And I'd like to kind of incorporate that a little bit more. Maybe the answer is to go deeper into playful mark making. So uh, mixing, mixing materials and, and getting a little bit messier. I'm working on this book right now that is about a storm developing. It's a little bit like small in the city where this storm kind of gets heavier throughout the story. So I, I feel like there's room for me to really be more ex expressive with the mark making and, and, and get really kind of to throw some paint around. So that might be the answer for that book. It really depends on, on what's appropriate for the story. And, and if I can find a way to be excited about something that i want to see or that i haven't tried before it's usually that this is something that i haven't seen and want to try yeah i'm thinking about your page in um is i talk like a river when the child has a stutter and there's that page where it's almost like i guess you're seeing what they see from yeah from their from their eyes or the way that they're trying to communicate with difficulty to the world and the mark making us all sort of expressionistic yeah and almost abstractions um in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think like oh that's a pretty picture but it's powerful because you, you don't even know why sometimes why something's powerful <laughs> because it, i guess because it communicates what you're trying to say i did yeah yeah i think it worked that one works quite a bit I, that was my favorite page of the book because it was not a pretty picture it wasn't it didn't have anything to do really with the way that the light you know fell on or it didn't evoke a feeling through something that was familiar um vi visually but emotionally it's like this is something that this is how the person feels and i feel like people 
if they look at that picture, they can feel that anxiety because of the 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 nature of the mark making or the way that the the mediums kind of reacted to each other on the page. Some of the some of the mediums were granulation of the pigments, and so you have these little tiny little clumpy bits, and then you have little tiny almost microscopic rivers that are that are forming within within the the paint. And then there's blooms on the side and there's all of these things that are happening that are that are are there because I introduced the material, but not because I rendered it. It's just sort of you you drop it in and then you watch. And there's something really um something very freeing about that and something very exciting about that. Because you're the artist, you're kind of in control, but you're not. You kind of let go of control. And you just have to see what happens. And you and and the more that you can do that as an artist, the better. Because even if you're you're working with a pencil, even if you're working with a paintbrush, whatever, the half of it is is controlling and the other half is watching and being aware and and reacting. And knowing that like that the, the painting has an idea of, of its own, of how it's going to be. And you just have to sort of react to that and respond rather than trying to, trying to um, enforce this pre, this, this idea, this sketch that you had already. And this like, it's going to look like this. I know how it's going to look. And then making sure that it looks like that. And at the end, the best you can have is something that looks like what you thought, but what's even better a better possibility is something that you had never even dreamed of that you couldn't think you didn't expect at all, but something that it told you and you had heard and you had reacted to. And, and then that becomes more of like, there's less pressure. I feel like when you look at, at art making in that way, because, because it's not all on you, you know, you're there to respond and uh, be aware and, and just have, you know, have this sensitivity towards the the material and the and the art in the moment. It requires a lot of focus, but if you can get to that level of focus, you're not surrounded by pressures or deadlines or people yelling at you, kids asking you for food or whatever. <laughs> if you can get if you can get there, that's a beautiful place to be. And I think that's that's where I'm always trying to kind of find myself these days. Yeah, it's almost like you're co-creating your materials almost yeah yeah that's so so fun it's a lot of fun and for a picture book do you prefer working on your own or collaborating with an author it's a lot harder to write uh for myself you know it's always easier to work with with some sort of limitation and you know that's one of the reasons why i don't work digitally because there's just like unlimited unlimited options you know you just get stuck in possibilities it could look like this it could do this you could change the color you could do that <clears throat> and sometimes when i actually when i scan my work and clean it up and fix the levels i do find myself going in there and being like oh but i could change this or oh i could add a little bit of red here or it's too tempting so i try not to do it too much but um oh man i totally lost <laughs> I totally forgot what the question was. Asking about um, if you prefer author or yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. So working with someone's words that are already decided, for the most part, 
creates this limitation to work within, like that you 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 have to work with these words. So the the challenge is to elevate those words, make them better. And if you can do that, if you can work with the words to create a more uh, engaging um, experience, then you've succeeded. That then you that's it. You're done. But I feel like there's a lot more pressure when you do both because you can change the words, you can change the images. You're, I'm never certain that the words are right. Never certain. It's sometimes, sometimes it's just it's a constant, constant battle. And it's a constant struggle. Small in the city, it was like, it was hard, 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 easy because it all kind of came together at the end. And I was like, oh, that's how it's going to fit. And it all kind of the pieces pieces fit together. But with Do You Remember, it was difficult from the very beginning to the very end. The very last moment, I was just like, what this it never came together. It never clicked. And uh it it's not I think it has to do with the material, you know, some material fights being written because it's difficult. It's you know, it's complicated. I think I get. I guess with when you're working with an author as well, there's probably a bit more momentum because like there's someone that you have to create the illustrations for. Whereas I don't know. I think for my first picture book, I for the last few years I've been trying to get my idea or trying to redo drafts, and then it's just kind of ended up not happening. But now I'm working on my first children's book for someone else who's written it, and it's like I'm actually doing it because I have to and I want to. Right, but. Do you know what I mean? You can't slack off when it's for someone else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, we'll just end with some quick fire questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. If you weren't a children's book illustrator, what job do you think you would have? Uh, I think a chef. I'd like to be a chef. Best book you've read recently? Um, I hate to say this, but it was Bunny and Tree. There's no words in it. Do you know that one? Oh, wordless book. This one came out recently. Oh, no, I've not seen that. Bunny and tree. Yeah. Look that up. And finally, why is living a creative life important to you? That's so tied up in <laughs> my identity. I mean, that's who I am. Uh, I don't know who I'd be if I wasn't creative or if I didn't identify myself as a creative person. Um, I think it's my, my, my way of interacting with the world and I can't imagine myself not being a creative person. Sydney's most recent book, Do You Remember, is out now. To see more of his work, find him on Instagram at Sydney Draws, and you can find me at Geordie Stewart Illustration. Thank you for listening to Creative Rituals. Creative Rituals.